Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. If the name Julian Trejo sounds familiar, it might be because he's been a guest on this show twice before. He's a soccer journalist in town, and we've talked to him about St. Louis City SC. Julian is also a sophomore at Washington University. He recently wrote an essay commissioned by the River City Journalism Fund and first published in the Riverfront Times. The headline, I Made Peace with My Dad's Record by Changing My Name. Let's get to the special presentation of Julian's story, told by Julian himself. If you're like most people, you take pride in your name. Or maybe never give it much thought. But for me, thinking about my name as an adolescent with my dad serving time in prison became an obsession that nearly consumed me. As Julian Frias, with my dad's surname, I began living a lie. As far as anyone knew, my dad was busy or out of town whenever there were school events or ball games. When I was 15 years old, my mom helped me with the paperwork to make her surname mine. It was then that I became Julian Trejo. I was able to shed my shame over my dad's surname and feel free to be me. But now, at age 19, my life is different. I earned a college scholarship that took me far away from my family's home in Springdale, Arkansas. Even as I contemplate my dad's release from prison this month, I'm beginning my second year at Washington University. It's a place that's a world apart from the tight-knit community where I was raised. And now, I must decide how my dad will fit into my life and learn how I can walk in the world with him in a way that benefits not just the two of us, but our family and our community. I'm sharing my story because I know there are many young people like me with parents in prison. And I believe many feel ashamed or embarrassed by this fact and consider the sins of their parents to be their own. I want them to know they are not alone. Who am I? I came into this world in June 2004 at a hospital in Los Angeles with my parents naming me Julian Frias. I suppose that was a bit of a no-brainer. Most parents apply the father's last name to their children, but now the mother's surname is sometimes appended as well. While most people apply their name to hundreds of forms without much thought, as I grew older, I was disturbed thinking about the many ways it defined me. When you meet someone new, you tell them your name. Your last name automatically associates you with your family and can associate you with race and ethnicity. Your name is literally your identity. Omar Frias is my dad's name, but he's actually the only person in his family with that surname. I've never met my grandfather from my dad's side, nor has my dad. I didn't know any grandparents, great-grandparents, uncles, aunts, or any cousins known as Frias. 
All I had was my dad. There was a time when I didn't even have him. If you had asked me, Julian Frias, age 14, what I thought of my dad, I would have told you that I hated him, that my dad is a loser, and that my dad doesn't love me. And that's because until then, my dad wasn't around for most of my life. My dad was sentenced to 42 months in prison for his role in a conspiracy to distribute methamphetamine in 2012. I was only eight years old. Then I reunited with him again for a year, and he was gone for another four years to serve another prison sentence. Young Julian Frias kept that a secret from his friends, his teachers, and nearly everyone except his family. My hometown of Springdale, Arkansas, is your prototypical American suburban city. At the time, I believed it was the type of place where people lived picture-perfect lives. That is, except for me. My classmates talked endlessly about attending events or going on trips with their dads. Everyone seemed to have the ideal nuclear family structure, something that I yearned for as a young boy. I always thought that having an absent parent was taboo. Having an incarcerated parent was beyond the norm. I believed that if anyone at school knew, they would shun me, make fun of me, and more than likely, both. What I didn't know then, and didn't really know until now, is how many children were just like me. Half of American prisoners are parents to children under 18. That's according to 17-year-old Joshua Martoma, who recently won an editorial writing contest in the New York Times. He writes that parental incarceration affects a staggering 1 in 14 American kids. Martoma calls this a silent American epidemic that's more common than childhood asthma. In state prisons, 48% of black males, 51% of Hispanic males, and 40% of white males report having a minor child. So, you see, I'm a Hispanic statistic. I so wanted not to be one. My dad is busy. My dad started serving time when I was in second grade. At that point, I felt sure that he loved me. He had just made a mistake. So, I would cover for him. I would say my dad was working all the time. It seemed like everyone's dad was in the Watchdogs program. DOGS is an acronym for Dads of Great Students, and the program in my school district was created to provide positive male role models. But my dad couldn't because he was too busy at work. Such a hardworking guy. My dad also failed to show up at Bring Your Dad to Lunch Day. He was just way too busy. That first lunch day event really hurt. I remember walking into the cafeteria and seeing all of my friends sitting with their dads. I got my food and began looking for a place to sit. Eventually, I locked eyes with my tío, my uncle, who was sitting with my cousin. He waved me over to sit with them. Once I sat down, I began to cry. Since that first time, I always had my abuelito, my grandpa, go to those lunches with me. When you're in elementary school, it's pretty normal for friends to go over to each other's houses and hang out. 
but I would never allow anyone to come to my house because the lie about my dad might be exposed. As the oldest of three brothers with an absent dad, I had to step up to help my mom. Her name is Christina. I embraced that responsibility. I would help Jaden, who's five years younger than me, and Jonathan, who's six years younger, get dressed in the mornings. I'd help them brush their teeth and serve them cereal. At night, I'd change them into pajamas and protect them from all the monsters in the closet, which was dumb because I was still scared of all the monsters in the closet. As time passed, I started to hate my dad a little bit. I felt like it was his fault that I had to live two different lives. There was the Julian at home, then the Julian at school. The two never overlapped. When I was in sixth grade, my dad's four-year sentence was up, and just like that, I had him back. I remember going with my uncles to pick him up from a halfway house in Little Rock. I felt like the happiest kid in the world. When we were driving back to Springdale, my dad and I were sitting in the back seat, and out of nowhere, he looked at me in the eyes and said, Jay, I'm never going back. I messed up, I'll admit that, but I'm not going to mess up again. I'm never going to leave you guys again. I took his promise to heart. My dad failed to make it through the first three months of my seventh grade year. He was arrested on Friday, October 7th, 2016, and it's a day I'll never forget. I remember texting and calling him because he was supposed to be home whenever I got home from school. My stomach churned. I feared the worst. I googled car crashes in Northwest Arkansas, trying to find news reports of any accidents from that day. I never imagined he had been arrested. There was no way. He had promised me. But by 9 p.m., when the Springdale Police Department came knocking on my door just like they had done five years before, I knew exactly what had happened. My family is everyone. Whenever people talk about family, they usually just talk about the normal nuclear family. You know, mom, dad, siblings, the people who typically live in your house. But I refer to my family as everyone. My mom, brothers, aunt, uncles, grandparents, and cousins, because we're all so close. Even though I grew up without my biological dad, I felt like I had four dads my abuelito, and my three tios. I learned from them what it meant not only to be a real man, but to be a good person. My abuelito Carlos Trejo passed away last summer. He taught me how to live a life of compassion and empathy. Whenever my abuelito saw a person who was down, he always offered a helping hand. My tío, Alberto Solis, showed me how to work hard and provide for a family. He's incredibly intimidating, yet so caring and protective of his family. He's found a perfect balance between being the macho man while expressing love to his family. My tío, Ricardo Trejo, taught me how to enjoy the little things in life. Our favorite activities always revolve around watching sports, sharing laughs, and cooking food. My tío, Roberto Trejo, showed me the importance of finding joy in a complicated life full of hardship and struggle. 
His youth, in comparison to my other Theos, makes him the fun Theo. Between the ages of 7 and 17, I lived in a dozen different homes. I shared the same bed with my mom and brothers until my sophomore year in high school. My mom struggled to find a decent paying job to support us on her own without a college degree or technical skills. For a good part of that time, I lived in my grandparents' three-bedroom home. At one point, 14 family members were living there. Our situation made my mom determine that her boys would make something of themselves. My mom emphasized to me that I must not become a statistic, not just another brown kid with an absent dad who went down the wrong path. My mom preached education and stressed the importance of school. No one pushed me and believed in me more. I remember when I was preparing for eighth grade, my mom and I created a plan to get to college. It was a meticulous year-by-year -year plan that had me enrolling in as many advanced classes as possible. The goal was to ensure I would have the best chance to earn college scholarships. But more importantly, my mom always showed up. Every award ceremony, every graduation, and every soccer game. Through thick and thin, my mom always did her absolute best to ensure that my brothers and I would never go without. She is my hero. Wearing a mask. My dad's second arrest in 2016 changed our relationship forever. My dad was charged with possession of a controlled substance, attempted coercion, enticement of a minor, and using the interstate to entice a minor into sexual conduct. He had downloaded the app Whisper and was having conversations with someone he thought was a 15-year-old girl. It was really an undercover officer. My dad agreed to meet the decoy at a pizza parlor. He drove past the meeting location, but was still pulled over and arrested. He later told officers that his depression over his actions led him to start using meth again. He was sentenced in federal court to 57 months in prison. It was then, after my dad's second incarceration, that I decided to block him from my mind. It was just easier to forget about him and pretend like he didn't exist. It protected me from a lot of pain and honestly, it was easier to ignore my problems than to confront them head on. Even so, I couldn't change how I acted at school. I had to put on a mask and play a role that fit in with everyone else so nobody would know anything was wrong. When I was in school, I was the kid everyone expected me to be. A straight A student and an outgoing athlete. Some days it was overwhelming because I just couldn't keep pretending to be someone I wasn't. There were days when I cried, a lot. My favorite place to cry was the shower because I would play music so the sound of the water and music would drown out my sobs and wash away the tears. My reaction would not have surprised researchers. The National Institutes of Health cites a European study that says children with parents in prison are at a significantly greater risk of suffering mental health difficulties, including low self-esteem, depression, 
disturbed sleep patterns, and symptoms of post-traumatic stress. A North American study suggests that separation from a parent was found to be more detrimental to a child's well-being than divorce or the death of a parent. I haven't found any studies about children who have gone as far as to change their names, so maybe I am alone in this, but I doubt it. A fresh start. About two years after my dad's second time in prison, my mom filed for divorce. And that's how I came to that moment in my living room in 2018, when my mom asked my brothers and I if we wanted to take on her surname. It felt as though she was giving me a fresh start in life. By then, the negativity associated with being a Frias felt like an anchor around my neck. On the other hand, I associated the Trejo name with love and perseverance. I was filled with pride at the thought of representing my family through all my accomplishments. And it was exciting to think of sharing that name with my future children. My dad was released from his second time in prison in October 2020. At that point, I believed I had lived so much of my life without him that I didn't need him anymore. Certainly not as a father. I didn't speak to him until about eight months later. My dad told me that he wanted to be the kind of father that I wanted him to be. If I never wanted to see him again, he said he could live with that. If I wanted to simply regard him as an acquaintance or just a friend, that would be okay too. As you might imagine, the name change was a bitter pill for my dad to swallow. It was one of the first things he wanted to address with me. At first, he blamed my mom, believing she was using his sons against him. But then in my senior year, I shared an essay with him that I wrote as part of an English assignment. It was about taking the path from Frias to Trejo. Much of what I am saying now was taken from that essay. As heartbreaking as it was for him, my dad told me he read the essay again and again and couldn't help but feel shame. It was the first time he realized how much his stints in prison affected me. He understood exactly why I felt the need to become a trejo and has not questioned my decision since. Trauma and Blessings My dad went on to be reincarcerated for a probation violation last year during the fall semester of my freshman year in college. I was disappointed, but I no longer felt the shame or sadness I felt as a child. It wasn't my first rodeo. One day, my dad asked me for a copy of my senior year English paper. He said he wanted to share it with his fellow prisoners who are also dads. He wanted it to be a cautionary tale and a way of looking at the world through the eyes of the children they've left behind. Maybe this story, my story, will find its way to prisons across America. I pray for that. I know my dad loves me now, and it probably breaks his heart every day to know that none of his three children bear his name. I couldn't admit it before, but I love my dad too. My dad is far from perfect, but then again, who is? 
I feel so much sympathy for my dad because I understand how easily his path could have been my own. It's something my mom and I used to talk about all the time. My dad is the oldest of his siblings, just like me. He received good grades at school, never got into any trouble, and always looked out for his younger siblings, just as I did. By all accounts, he was a good boy, just like I was. But that all changed as he reached adolescence. Though my dad was incarcerated for large chunks of my life, he never even met his own father. My dad also didn't have a big, close group of uncles and a grandpa like I did. All he had was an abusive and alcoholic stepfather. His stepfather would beat him often for mundane offenses and never treated my dad with the same love as his siblings. It was too much for a young boy to handle alone. He turned to drugs to escape his dark reality. My dad has struggled with addiction for most of his life. His poison of choice has always been methamphetamine. My dad grew reliant on meth, and it became a coping mechanism for any hardships he encountered in life. I thank God that I got the love and support that I needed to stay on the right path. My prayers were answered when I earned a coveted scholarship to WashU. As a first-generation college student, I was added to the dean's list in my first two semesters of college. In my second semester, I earned a fellowship that allowed me to become a soccer journalist covering an MLS team in St. Louis. More importantly though, I found my way back to the church. In June of last year, I received my sacraments and now attend Mass often at the Catholic Student Center on WashU's campus. The small chapel provides an intimate, spiritual connection with God. The only word that comes to mind as I pray is gratitude. I'm grateful that God gives me the strength to overcome any obstacles life throws my way. But more importantly, I'm thankful that He placed so many amazing people on my journey to get me where I am today. I could have never done any of it alone. God has truly blessed me in more ways than I could have ever imagined as a child. I can't forget the emotional scars and traumas my dad brought to my life. Oddly though, I'm glad he put me through those experiences because they helped make me into the person I am today. If I had the chance to change anything, I wouldn't. I don't think Julian Frias would have had the strength to tell this story. He wouldn't have dared to tell anyone that his dad had served time in prison. But Julian Frias didn't write this. I did. And my name is Julian Trejo. My name has meaning now and it represents my life story. My name gives me courage and strength. So I ask, what does your name mean to you? Julian Trejo is a St. Louis soccer journalist and a sophomore at Washington University. His essay was commissioned by the River City Journalism Fund and first published by the Riverfront Times. The essay was edited by Richard Weiss and Sarah Fenske. The audio essay was produced by Alex Hoyer. Original music and sound design by Aaron Dorr. 
You can read the essay and see a photo of Julian Trejo and his dad. Visit our website at stlonair.show. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.